I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. So how are you doing? Fantastic. I'm guessing the office is just a hopping today with patch 1.1 getting out there today. Yeah, we had a little bit of a uh, of a hiccup that people saw, and um, luckily the community had come in really, really strong on our public test and uh, found some outlying bugs right at the last minute that we decided, hey, better safe than sorry, and held to today, but went up great today. Uh, went in and was extremely happy to see the level 50 bracketing come in. Uh, Went in and played played some hot ball <laughs> down, down with the uh, with the other folks. They, okay, well, if you're gonna say that, then you got to say down with which other folks. What do you play? Uh, well, I'm right now with my main. I've been alting all over the game, uh, so my main is sitting at 45, which is just that time that you know. So I can still be uh, be very dominant in a game with sub 50s, but. Man, when you got battle masters in there, it's pretty tough. Oh, it is. But what are you playing though? Are you playing Republic or Imperial side? Uh, right now, I'm playing both. I'm playing all over the place. But my main is uh, the sweetest, nicest <laughs> Sith warrior that has ever lived. You know what's funny is I actually considered creating one of those, and it's still on the the back burner. It's either going to be a very nice warrior or a nice uh, imperial agent but i need at least apparently one good character who doesn't just choose the evil side all the time well one of the interesting things about the warrior playing through it is i had forgotten i literally chose the warrior because it was the class that i had not seen in the longest because it was one of the first classes we had done so i had not seen a lot of the great cinematics i hadn't seen a lot of the polish work and i had forgotten uh neil polner was our writer for the sith warrior and I'd forgotten how many alternate paths he'd put in, like completely different quests, completely different scenes for the light side guy that you don't see if you're marching down the Vader path of just kill everybody who's in your way. Uh, so there's actually a surprising amount of fantastic, not just, hey, I had different dialogue options and a different end choice here, but going off to a totally different place and doing something uh, that's, really a different little storyline. Well, see, that's saying a lot when you have the actual writer, lead writer, who is saying that there's still a lot of things in the game that he hasn't experienced. Now, we're actually just going to hit that ground running. Normally, I go through a big old introduction, but this is just too good to pass up here. So we're just going to leave everything that we've discussed before in the interview, and we'll keep going. This, of course, is Daniel sure. Erickson, who is the lead writer for Star Wars The Old Republic. We're very happy to have you here, and of course, it's myself and Joe, my co-host. Yep, thank you Good for joining to us today. So, yeah, it's fantastic hearing from the lead writer who is saying that there's still a lot of content that he hasn't experienced. In 
Are you doing? Well, had an ex- had an experience in the live game with the cinematics, with all that stuff. Well, the- uh, during during the game process, like I saw all the dialogue when it went through, but in the final tally, we ended up with sixty six zero man years worth of writing in the game. Oh Jesus! So uh, the amount of things I've forgotten. Yeah, really. <laughs> when I went back, uh, and so much of that went through so many revisions, so many pieces, especially again because Sith Warrior was sort of our sort of our first test case when we were figuring out how the game would go. Uh, I went in and looked at the edit log for the first conversation. So when you first start up the Sith Warrior, and that conversation has gone through over 240 versions. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Okay, now, is a lot of that simply because of rewrites, because of how the overall stories were going, say, in this case, for the Empire, or was it just because of constant tweaking, or was it also because of some things that came about while you were doing the voice acting, where the voice actors kind of took it in a different direction than what you were expecting, and it was too good to pass up? All of those have happened on different conversations. On this one specifically, it was primarily figuring out how we were going to do storytelling in the Old Republic. Um, the original version, 240 versions or so ago, was uh, fundamentally different. And um, I would say it was a lot more old school than it is today. You know, in the very early days, we didn't know that we were going to do player VO. Uh, that involved rewriting everything in chapter one. Uh, in the early days, we weren't sure how much cinematics work we were going to get in there. Uh, there was a lot of caution when we first started the project about, okay, we've got an MMO, we're you know 60 man years of content, which we didn't even really understand it would be that big. Um, how are we going to do beautiful cinematics for all this work? Uh, so some of our early versions were a lot more... Um, I guess you would say radio drama because we weren't aware if our characters were even going to be moving or really doing much. (laughs) So they would be like, well, let me go over here and get this box for you. (laughs) Uh, And as we, we got, so Brad Prince uh, is our lead world designer, but he was actually the lead cinematics designer for the original mass effect. And when he joined the project, he came down with a huge amount of knowledge, including how to make, an amazing set of cinematics tools that would, uh, they'll never handle the whole conversation and get everything you want, but they'll sort of get you halfway there uh, and allowed us to automate a lot of the, the sort of heavy lifting and let the cinematics designers work on the polish and the storytelling side. And all of a sudden we looked at our stuff and said, oh, hey, we can write like screenwriters. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We don't have to write like, you know, an old Baldur's Gate game. Yeah, well, that's a hell of a pedigree he's got, too, coming from Mass Effect as well. We are huge Mass Effect fans here. Yeah, when you, when you say, hey, I was the lead cinematics guy yeah, for really. Mass Effect, you can pretty much... Yeah. <laughs> that carries weight. <laughs> exactly. That'll get you a table at any nerd restaurant in town, basically. <laughs> there needs to be more of those. Basically. How big is your writing staff? Um, it has gone up and down, depending on where we are in the project. Uh, there are about 20 credited writers on the game. Uh, but that includes, we sort of begged and borrowed, and there were times that uh, really right in the middle hump, right around when we were working on Chapter 2, uh, we had to hit some pretty hard deadlines, and we went out and begged, borrowed, and stole people from Dragon Age and from Mass Effect, <laughs> um, but eventually we had to give them back. So we tend to we tend to roll around at about a dozen as our normal. 
now that you've got the base game in and you are just adding content via, via your patches and whatnot, are you finding mm-hmm. that you need substantially less people and you'll be able to manage with a lot less? No, no, quite the opposite. Uh, our stuff is, we're a content game. And uh, that's really what we've sold as a differentiating factor. Like, hey, look at us, we got story. And uh, it's hugely popular. We knew what it was going to take to do more content. And luckily we've, we've streamlined the process and the pipelines and all of that quite a bit. But we had a long time to write the first version. Uh, to continue to put out content like that, we actually rolled the writing team off and had them working on future content months and months and months ago. Okay. All right. So now in terms of what you personally have put in the game, what's some of your favorite stuff that you put in the game? Well, embarrassingly enough, it's always an interesting one is uh, talking as a lead writer and they go, oh, neat. What'd you write? And they go, oh, well, not much. Yeah. Um, in the original days, we thought that uh, we were going to have a much smaller writing staff and that uh, we were each going to take a class. It was kind of an interesting thing because I was afraid everyone would fight over certain classes. So at the time, there were seven writers plus me on the project and uh, I had them blind list out their top three picks for classes to write and everybody got their top pick. Oh, nice. Very Which nice. was kind of crazy. Uh, we've got, you know, some of them are easy. Charles Boyd, who writes the Troopers, desk is literally covered with like every walker and every <laughs> type of stormtrooper <laughs> from every time period in Star Wars. We weren't we weren't wondering where he was going. Okay, uh, you know what, though, not to interrupt, the trooper quest line is absolutely insane. I, I cannot say enough good stuff about it. It, it really is. And, it, and a lot of that is just Charles's complete passion for that subject matter. Um, you know, he came out really early and said, okay, like, I'm going to do this sort of half Band of Brothers, half 80s movie, one-man army story. And... Uh, really delivered it. I remember, you know, small spoilers, but uh, I remember when he was first pitching the the sort of Ollie North scene where you had to go in front of the Senate and decide whether or not you were going to tell the truth about what was happening in Special Forces. And I thought, okay, this is not a scene I've seen in an RPG before. Uh, And there's a lot of those too. Like we're coming across a ton of those where we're thinking, this is not the norm. You don't see this kind of stuff in an MMO right now. and Or or even in in an RPG. One of the things that I thought was fascinating about the when we decided to go this way, and I'll circle back to the original question, um, was that once we decided we were going to do these eight different classes, what it allowed us to do was eight different genre pieces that allowed us to explore territory that you'd never get probably never get a full RPG off the ground, right? So the smuggler said, hey, you know, we're going to do an action comedy, oh, dude. right? We're living the life of Han Solo. Everything's going to explode <laughs> in your face. You're always going to be up to your eyebrows in craziness, you know, insane romances, uh, crazy exes, whatever. Like, this is this is going to be his world. And then, you know, Charles comes up with the trooper, and it's all of a sudden – Everybody in your whole world is in the military structure. This is your world. You are a soldier. And everybody relates to you through this filter. And it brings a very, very different sort of feel. Um, so the piece that I owned originally, and I wrote the first two planets for, was the Bounty Hunter. And for the Bounty Hunter, I'd always seen the sort of mystique as uh, we say, you know, Star Wars is at its heart a World War II uh, movie combined with old space opera, right? Like the old serials. Um, The bounty hunters are the cowboys. 
yes. not in the not in the <laughs> Han Solo kind of crazy. You know, uh, I'm living the zany life by the seat of my pants. One, they're the John Wayne cowboys. They're one guy with a gun trying to make their way out in the world. Um, and so the first two planets I wrote for the bounty hunter were very much that, you know, we established a little bit of your, uh, of your background and your resources. We take those resources away. We hand you a gun and we say, you know, prove that, prove that you're the baddest guy in the galaxy or just give it up. And, uh, everything from the framing, uh, you you'll notice in one of the very first things you ever do at the bounty hunter, there is literally a quick draw scene. Yes, uh, yeah, right. And the cinematics happy. team really pulled into that. And the first time they showed it to me, I was like, yes, that's, you know, that is absolutely where we want that to be. Well, you'll be happy to know you're playing, to, you're talking to two bounty hunters. I have uh, minus 28, Joe's is 33, and then my son has one as well because I play with my son. And my, oh my God, you, you couldn't convince my son to play another character as a main. He absolutely adores it. So you, you nailed that class for sure. Yeah, the um, it was kind of an interesting one to play with because, and this happened a lot on the Imperial side, we had to deal with some sort of heavy themes and you had to put some pretty bad people in there. And what we learned really quickly with the Bounty Hunter, because the Bounty Hunter is, um, it is at the same time in the early days, probably the most over-the-top violent, uh, but also the one that you really wouldn't take very seriously. And that's kind of the secret of writing evil in Star Wars is you need to make sure that it reaches cartoon evil. Uh, so it does feel safe to play with your son, right? It does feel safe to have, because it's not, um, you know, the bad guys in there are not people from Dexter. They're people from space opera. Yeah. It's, it's not, you're absolutely right. Like even at its worst, we, we've joked around. I mean, even at its worst, <laughs> when you're handing someone their husband's head in a bag, <laughs> <laughs> there's still enough of that craziness that you're laughing together and and it was one of those I, i've said it before on the podcast too it was i'm finding more and more with this game more so than any other mmo i've ever played and trust me there's a crap load there um i'm finding that it's so much more fun to be talking to somebody else whether it's on vent or on skype at the same time and sharing the experience and so it's yep. one of those i can't believe you just did that kiddo look it's ahead and you're laughing about it so it's not something like the sith inquisitor quest line which at points is just so goddamn black and dark this is much more uh, a means to an end and it is comical it does fit yeah and it's one of those things that uh that we were really happy to see uh, both in people talking in their guild chat and uh, people writing in their articles and just as you know people came and anecdotally talked about it is um, we didn't expect the level of water cooler talk is what I think of it as <laughs> uh, is a lot of people have been telling us that one of their favorite thing about the games is going to talk to their friends who are playing other classes and sharing the crazy, oh my God, you won't believe what I saw quest. Well, we can't um, stop talking about it on our podcast. That's how oh yeah. bad it's gotten. It's every single week. We're like, oh my God, you will not believe what just happened. And right now we're already banking on next week because I have to talk about the end of act one for the Sith Inquisitor. I'm only waiting because our other co-host <laughs> hasn't finished it yet. And it's like, okay, you have till next week, buddy. That's it. After that, I'm talking about it. Giant spoiler warnings everywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, was... yeah, 
the uh, the ones I will say there too is you know if you've not wandered into that territory, uh, talking about places that give you a very different sort of approach to storyline, uh, both the smuggler and the imperial agent uh, bring a lot of those. I did not expect that in my RPG. Oh, I've seen lots of that too. I've got a 33 smuggler as well. And then I've got a 28 Imperial agent as well. And oh, so you're like me, you're, you're, you're the total alt dab. Oh, I'm all over the place. And that's the why legacy, it was made for me, essentially. I've got a, t- a ton of them. And then my inquisitor is 33. So, and it, and it's, what's funny is that I know that by now, if I'd only played one character, I would have gotten him or her to 50. No problem. Oh, yeah. And and thoroughly enjoyed it. But the thing is, is that with each one of these alts, with, with every one of the different classes, the story is so engaging. Although I got to say, Jedi Knight is my least favorite. I've, I've got very little love for the Jedi Knight, at least the starting, the beginning up until you're off the first planet. But everyone else, I'm so engaged in those stories that... I, I feel compelled that I have to play them. I don't mind putting off the one character to 50 just so that I can enjoy all of these other stories because they're so different in how they're written and portrayed and everything that it feels like a different game at points. Like my little trooper right now is only uh, 13 or 14 and I can't wait to get back to him because I so enjoyed playing him in beta that as soon as it came out of retail, I was like, I'm, I'm making one and I'm playing one as much as I can. Yeah, one of the interesting things that... Um to go back to the Jedi Knight, which actually, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who love the Jedi Knight. One of the things that I think is interesting to watch is compared to some of the others, uh, the Jedi Knight specifically starts a lot slower and it's closer to classic Bioware game opening, right? The, uh, the you know, we call the first two planets your prelude and it's really true for the Jedi Knight. The Jedi Knight is definitely the easiest entry class. Um, we, we spend the most time hand-holding uh, we thought was going to be the uh, the most likely entry point for, uh, let's say, the most casual user. Um, okay. I will say that's one to hang on to and check out because uh, especially sort of post-Coruscant, when you really start getting into it, there's a lot of amazing stuff in that plot. Well, part of my issue with it as well, and it's it's how I'm playing different characters and all that, and I've, I do have a couple of characters that are... They, they play that gray zone. However, mm-hmm. a lot of them, the, the evil choices just kind of fit into such a dynamic story. So I tend to choose those. I don't have any strictly light side character as opposed to freaking Joe, who is a big freaking pansy. He, <laughs> he can't make hey, an evil choice on his bounty hunter. <laughs> but I find with the um, both the Jedi Knight as well as the Jedi Counselor, if you are choosing quote-unquote, evil choices, more often than not, I'm not finding those evil choices, at least on the first planet and for the counselor I played through through Coruscant as well. I don't find that the evil choices are really evil so much as egotistical, greedy, and, and, and things like actually, that. Uh, this is incre- entirely on purpose. So let's talk a little bit about light side, dark side philosophy. So one of the things we did when we first sort of laid down uh, where they were, even though everybody starts at neutral on the meter from a gameplay perspective, they definitely do not start it in the same place from a societal expectations and what your prehistory must have been to get you there. So it makes no sense for your Sith Inquisitor uh, to actually be 
this incredibly kind, nurturing soul who has just made it to the Sith Academy. So your early light side pieces for your Sith, especially for the Inquisitor, uh, tend to be, hey, let's not torture this guy so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time, it does not make sense for your Jedi to be these horrible sociopathic, like crazy people who nobody noticed coming up through you know, Jedi training. So you're so, telling me that if I keep going with the Jedi Knight, eventually he will be as evil as, say, a fallen Jedi in traditional canon. Absolutely. But we, but you need to play the experience. So your early things are, and you've actually identified it very well, your early dark side choices are small falls from grace. They are bad advice. They are covering up something that you should not have covered up. We, You are going to play the actual experience of what it is to fall as a Jedi, right? Which are those small stages. It's very rare that uh, somebody's personal story is actually, um, yesterday I was the most kind-hearted person ever and I was building homes for homeless people and uh, raising school children and then I decided to murder everyone in the country. <laughs> so in the same way, you don't really get to be uh, incredibly impactfully altruistic as a Sith for quite some time. And it's different for each of the pieces. We literally went through and ranked. Uh, so if you're running into that the most, the Jedi Knight is by expectation and opening scene, the most light side character in the game. With consideration to the the morality there, um, was it something that you've ever considered, like allowing a fallen Jedi to switch factions or a redeemed Sith? Was that something that was actually considered or not so much? We played with the idea, and what we realized is it didn't actually make sense canonically in our storyline. The Sith that we see uh, in so much of the actual you know extended universe stuff and even in the movies are not actually Sith from our game. They are just fallen Jedi. It is a name that we've now applied to people who have uh, become bad people. In our world, there is an actual separate empire. They are a separate people who are at war with these people. Um, my, excuse me, my example I always use is a, uh, a dark side British soldier in World War II is not going to join the Nazis. He is going to torture Nazis. Right? There is no... Okay. There is no sense. cultural concept that makes, that makes sense, sense to yeah. join the other side of the war. That makes absolute sense. Um, with morality still in mind here, it, it's very obvious that as writers for everything here, you guys have had the goal of giving players multiple directions or choices of morality and the dialogues and choices that they can pick. How difficult was it to balance between the quest dialogue, the multiplayer dialogue, and flashpoints, and balancing that within the game's light and dark side system? Um, we didn't. That's the short version of it. Uh, our, systems, <laughs> our systems guys are fantastic. Um, they're actually all weighted behind the scenes. So much like uh, the way the affection system works very similarly, uh, what we got the deal for was we wrote everything as we wanted to and marked things as, you know, light, uh, you know, light medium, light light, you know, light high, dark low, dark, you know, medium, dark, high. And then the systems guys ran the numbers of how many choices showed up in one class's story, for instance. Said, okay, these aren't the real numbers, but let's say, for instance, uh, you get a thousand total points possible in your story. Uh, this class has, 
30% less chances to get dark side points during their story, so their dark side options are worth 30% more, so everybody comes out the same in the wash. Very nice. Okay, yeah. let's now change over to what we're seeing in the the novels, like the Revan novel, and then mm -hmm. the comic books that are out right now. Are you guys actually getting to work with those people to ensure the, the canon is accurate and whatnot, in, and also what you may want to pull from that to put in the game, or is it all just going through LucasArts? Well, the interesting thing about the ones you just mentioned are those are both my guys. Uh, so Drew Carpishan wrote the, uh, wrote the Revan novel and he's actually on my team. He's a writer on, uh, the Old Republic and was the original writer of the original Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and the comic books have been written by Alex Freed, who is my managing editor and senior writer who wrote the agent. Uh, so I see sense. all of it. Um, we loved, we loved Revan. Like I, oh, I yeah. cannot say enough good stuff about that. And then when we're seeing glimpses of that in quest lines and whatnot, it's making us giddy is what it's doing. Yeah. The Revanites were one of my, uh, my favorite creations that the team put together. And, uh, so my, my degrees in ancient history. And one of the things that my history teacher always talked about was, um, you don't know you weren't there. Uh, so all of, all of history to him was an argument. You were trying to make a reasonable, reasonable proposal of what might have happened. And what we see a lot of the time is that scholarly studies turn out to be vastly, vastly mistaken because they don't understand the context that something was written in. Uh, something that was written as a history was not actually supposed to be a history. Everyone at the time understood that it was an analogy for the current government that they could not openly critique, etc. So one of the thoughts I had early was everybody's going to wonder what happened to Revan, but probably 300 years later, most of the people who could tell you are going to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a good way to look at it. And, and that's kind of the way that I looked at it when I did the Revenite quest as well. I've done it several times now. And it, it the, we actually just covered that last week on the, on our uh, the, the actual Star Wars podcast I do with my son. And uh, we were talking about that quest line. And it's, it's one of those where in it provides more questions than answers. At the yes. end of it, you're kind of wondering, okay, well, what the hell is going on here? And, <laughs> and we're dying to know whether or not there's even more of it that's going to be coming up further in the story. Yeah, well, one of the things we said very early was, uh, and that's part of the reason it was such a huge coup to get Drew Carpishan down to work on the project. Uh, so we stole him. He was also the lead writer for the first two Mass Effect games. And so we pulled him down here because uh, he wanted to be somewhere sunny he could golf. And uh, <laughs> the nice part about that is it allowed us to wrap up the Old Republic, uh, the original Knights of the Old Republic games. And one of the things we said is, okay, we're answering all questions. So, uh, yes, if you've completed all the content in our game, you're pretty much going to know the whole saga. Okay, looking forward to it then. Actually, it's so, out there. Yeah, my, my son is dying to know as well because he finished Knights of the Old Republic. I'm embarrassed to say I never finished the entire game. But uh, <sighs> yes, 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 I know. I know. Uh, yeah, actually, Vince wanted to know our other co-hosts as well. He's been, well, we, we have a comic book podcast as well. So we've been really digging the Star Wars stuff lately. And he was wanting to know whether or not we can expect to see the continuation of the events of The Lost Sons in the game as well. Yeah, so one of the things that we decided to do with The Lost Sons early was um, Alex's initial pitch was he wanted to write a ninth class story. And that's really uh, where that sits. So that whole storyline is taking place concurrently. And in fact, there are, 
uh, there are references to it and things happening with it in the game that's in there now. Uh, but yes, those uh, those are not characters and events that are going away. Um, all of that stuff, all the stuff that we've done for the Old Republic is core parts of um, our specific canon. And even the stuff that is written uh, that's not outside here, you know, so when we did the, the uh, Deceived book, which I just loved, um, I got to basically, you know, go through and put in notes and uh, go through every line of that book. And uh, it became a fantastic peek into imperial culture, which was the same thing uh, for the Revan book, not for yeah. spoilers who haven't read it. But um, I had the only document on the Emperor that existed. The, the only background, <laughs> the only history. I didn't have it up on the shared server thing. I literally never let anybody see it. That's a little too much so, power, I got to tell you. Well, because it's it's the way you keep things from creeping out, right? Is uh, And so I gave it to Drew and was like, okay, you know, wrap up here. And by the way, this is actually, these are the secrets that are going on. Um, so yeah, it was really fun to see what he did with it. Uh, flipping over to companions, uh, the companions yeah. all have fairly extensive and interesting stories. How hard was it to balance their stories versus the stories for the players themselves? Well, one of the nice things about the companions is they become, uh, there's a couple things that work really well for them. One, I've always had an issue with the RPG thing as a, I'm a, as a story guy, I'm a serious role player, and it's always sort of like, hey, you're in your mid-20s and you're this guy and you've existed all this time, but you don't know where the bathroom is. Um, <laughs> and you see, your companions are a great guide to the galaxy, first of all, right? They, they make everything seem natural. They can discuss with you as if these are, these are things we all know and understand. They also give you a great perspective of the galaxy you're not seeing. So the companions tend to be pulled from the other classes' worlds to a great extent. Uh, so there's usually somebody there that's very much to reinforce your worldview. But then, you know, the Jedi Knight is going to have somebody who's a little bit more smugly. They're going to have somebody who's sort of, you know, uh, giving a perspective on the Imperial side, etc. So what we do is we bring them in not to just complement your class story and to change it, but also to give you a peek of what maybe the rest of the Old Republic galaxy looks like that you're not seeing right now. Okay, so keeping on with the companions now, how much freedom do you guys feel that you are having in terms of adding content to the game now that it is already established? Um, whether we're talking about companions or quest lines that you would like to put in that aren't necessarily going to be uh, continuing on with what is already there, but just something that you're thinking damn, this would be awesome. Can we put this quest in Tatooine here for this kind of thing? Or if it's a companion you'd like to add for everybody else kind of thing? Uh, there are definitely plans out there. Um, we're not focused too much on widening right now. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware. There's a lot of content out there. Um, the the leveling game as it is, has is well story supported with the eight classes and all that. Um, that said, we did definitely put aside some room to do little bits of these things there are uh you know there are always there are always surprises that we want to do and there's a lot of stuff in the works that uh will let's just say it'll be nice to be able to surprise people every once in a while when they uh when they log in and don't know what to expect. Well, that's something that we are very much looking forward to. One of the things is, that I discuss with everybody about this in is that 
I keep seeing potential. Now, that being said, I can also see the work that goes into this because unlike a traditional MMO where you not only have to deal with all of the actual artwork that's in there and the animations and everything, but you have to work quite seriously with the voice actors as well. So it's, oh, absolutely. it's, absolutely. it's, it's not it's as easy as just shoving somebody in. Yeah, yeah. It's, you, you don't want to go in there and, um, and uh, one, record all your VO before you know how it's going to work. Uh, and we've got a good, pretty good pipeline and process for that. We make sure we've got a good buffer zone. So we put content in the game. Everybody plays it. World Design puts it together. We do polish. Uh, and once everybody said, yes, this is good, yes, this flows well, all of that, then it goes out to script editing, all that, and then through the VO process. But that said, that's why we, uh, we tend to have to be way ahead of the game. Yeah, because there was a lot of rumors initially about HK-47 being in there. Mm-hmm. And I know that there were people that were data mining like crazy, that were <laughs> hoping so much. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, my God, that would make an awesome addition in a patch. And because it can be something wherein it's it's added for, again, say all the classes, so it's not like you have to add a whole bunch of companions for everybody to make it even, easy, or sorry, even whether it makes it a little bit easier for, again, the creative team saying, God, we really want to do this. Can we? How big a deal is it? Yeah, no, I mean, we, the thing is, all that stuff is just has to be planned early. Uh, and that said, a lot of it was. I've got a, you know, I've got a pretty good wall of, you know, here's the future of Tor, uh, both in the big and the small scale. One of the things we had to do sort of when we first sat down to do this was, okay, let's say, you know, dreams are all had in this game last 10 years. Where is the story going? Um, and as you get further into the game, you'll notice there's a lot of seeding for that work. There's been some chatter about world events on the forums lately. Um, can we expect the worlds in the Old Republic to start implementing such events? Uh, and if so, are you planning to make them the tried and true like holiday events that we've seen others do? Or were you looking to create truly original events that don't coincide with any traditional holidays? So the yeah, I saw that uh, that James, our director, had uh, had mentioned that we'd rolled up the events team, and yeah, we're not going to talk too much about what we're doing with them. Uh, there were some people that uh, that interpreted that to mean public quests, um, you know, like the uh, like putting in the the sort of big public spawn things, which is not. It is yeah, it is closer to uh, doing dynamic content that's going to be there for a short-lived time period. Um, and the only thing I'll say for that is uh, we don't break the fourth wall here. Uh, it will be implemented in stuff that makes sense for the galaxy and for Star Wars and doesn't ever come out and say, hey, your story doesn't make sense because look at this zany event we put in. Well, I see. I love that kind of stuff. I I know that some people don't like it because they feel, well, I never got a chance to experience that however the way that i look at it is that it's dynamic content and it makes your world or in your case worlds feel alive so that it's a leaving breathing breathing organism and it's always how we felt about it right um it's important for a game to have history it's important for there to be things to talk about and uh sure you might not have got to see that content but there's a lot of content in the game and hopefully you'll be around for the next event if there was one thing that you wish your team had had a little more time to flush out before launch, what would it have been? Before launch, wow. Um, <laughs> well, I can. I, I would say uh, really 
specific things about where some of the future stuff was going to go. Um, we did get most of it in before launch, but there was uh, right near the end, well, the team was, I guess this actually did happen before launch, but while the team was putting together, you know, their launch stuff and crunching and putting together these, you know, amazing uh, sort of plans to get this game out the door. Um, we finally got to sit down and really look at the plans for the next, let's say, you know, big section of story. And um, there were bits of it that didn't work as well as we wanted to. So we had to very quickly figure out how to fix those problems and then run back and change content in the shipped game uh, before it came out uh, to make sure that it would seed and foreshadow correctly with where we were actually going. Um, so I think if we had had, uh, I think if during the early days we'd had, you know, and it's not something anyone was ever going to get. If, if in my dream world, we would have taken a month off and said, Hey, let's just plan out the next thing we're not going to do for a few years. So we know that, <laughs> you know, so we know that we're going there correctly, but we still got, uh, we still got all the stuff that we needed adjusted in there and, you know, needed to run through and say, uh, hey, you know, let's make sure that none of this conflicts with it and we've got the right characters in place, etc. So in terms of like you're, you guys are planning so far in advance, really, that it's you're not using a lot of the information based on the players that are playing now. It's based on speculation of how the game is going to be doing in, like you're saying, a year or two. Oh, absolutely. The um, so gameplay and uh, tweaks and economy and balance. These are the things that you pull from the players. Uh, story, for the most part, that's not you know uh, season three of your show. You don't go change the whole storyline because it turns out people really like the guy from season two, right? That's it's popularity uh, novelization is. A, <laughs> would be a pretty terrible way to approach storytelling. Um, so we have to have an idea where things are going really early. Now that's not to say that if we find out that a particular character or a particular companion is just the most popular thing on earth, let's say um, whatever our version of HK-47 turned out to be, uh, that we might not lean into that person a little bit harder. Uh, but as far as where the general, where the galaxy is going, um, and where they're going to end up by the time that this is all wrapped up. That's, that's something you've got to have planned. We've all watched that show where it was pretty clear they didn't know they were getting a season three until it happened. <laughs> and uh, that, that's the moment you want to avoid. Well, no, it's, it, I'm, I'm saying it in terms of it, it shows a lot of foresight and, and pride, and um, you really know that your game is going to be doing well. And if you're planning that far in advance, and when you're planning that far in advance with a an IP of this stature, which is also going to involve what is happening in future novels and comics for it as well, then that takes a lot of faith, faith in your game. There, there, there is a lot. There is a lot of faith and support all the way up and down. Um, you know, the the way I'll put it bluntly, uh, you know, when you've seen the history of MMOs is we didn't ship this game and lay a bunch of people off. Yeah. Right. That this game was, was shipped to be a, a, like a event subscription based thing where you were going to log in and say, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. My subscription is absolutely worth it. Look at all this stuff I'm getting. Look at, you know, how, look at how good this service is that I'm coming in and, uh, and being a part of, which means, yeah, no, we're, 
we are continuing just as we always have. Well, that is something that we've again we've said often, and it is one of those. Um, it is one of those things where in we feel right now where it's all right to be giving you our money. And we play a lot of MMOs. We and at case in point right now, I've got two subscriptions for myself and my son, and it is something where. I feel that the money is justified going out of our pockets so that we can have this entertainment. And knowing that the content is being gated so, and I'm going to say rapidly, that we're already getting level 50 flashpoints, and then the second part is coming out shortly and things like that. It's one of those things where we have faith in you guys now so far, and I'm really hoping that that's going to continue. Yeah, and, and i got to give a plug out for that one for... Um... When you saw the patch notes, it's uh, the patch notes for the Caragas Palace, for instance, um, definitely undersell it. They say, hey, there's four new bosses there. Um, but there's a whole storyline wrapped into it now. There's a whole giant opening thing for it, and you actually understand what the whole thing's about. And it's actually some pretty awesome story content that kicks off Caragas now. Um, and I will say this for people, uh, even if you're not going to get there, and you're the guy who's not going to be the end game piece, you know, go somewhere and get to see it, you know, check it out, uh, because it is actually the first kernel of the new storyline kicking up. I want to take a moment to actually thank you for two things. One, uh, as somebody who this is what I want to do with my life eventually, thank you for coming out on the show and for talking to us about how your team works and everything else like that, because it's been very uh, enlightening for me. So thank you for that. Also, thank you very much for putting the RPG back into my MMORPG <laughs> because I cannot tell you how much like if I wanted to like buy you a beer uh, as a result of that. <laughs> well, the the one I mean you're you're obviously welcome, you know. Thank you for loving the game. That was the when we first started this project, it was a very interesting uh sort of meeting of cultures coming together because obviously so i came down and as did james and did emmanuel from dragon age we were working we the last game we did together was dragon age origins uh which james is also the lead designer on and uh you can imagine as coming down to be the lead writer i didn't come down because i was like wow i've always loved stories and mmos so much more than stories in single player bioware games i should do an mmo uh my feel had always been I, so I've played every MMO basically ever, all the way back to like <laughs> Gemstones and the Muds, right? I, I played oh, Gemstones yeah. and I was a bard and I sat in the Bards Guild and just gave people my horrible, horrible late teens poetry. That was, <laughs> that was like what I did. And I always expected when somebody said, hey, there's this MMO, I expected to show up and have everything I loved about an RPG except I could play it with all my friends because that's how you're supposed to play RPGs, right? I come from the pen and paper world where most of the Bioware people came from originally as that's far right. as sort of our passions. And so you had two things. You had the single player RPGs, which were missing your friends, right? You were the only guy that showed up that night because like there was a cool party and the rest of your friends got invited. So it's just you and the DM. Uh, or you had the MMOs where the DM didn't show up. So you guys just sat around with your miniatures and were like, I don't know, you guys want to fight some stuff? And we had so much pushback when we started talking about this project that story was something that couldn't be done in MMOs. Um, usually the reason was because it hadn't been. Um, and it was interesting to see that the 
that the restriction that had been placed on the genre because of people's resources, I, I don't believe for a minute that people were trying not to put story in MMOs. It was just the, the resource allocation for it was ridiculous. If we had not done so many of these Bioware games beforehand, there's no way we could have even started this. Uh, but that the, the genre sort of dysfunction had become the genre norm and then the genre expectation to where there were actually a loud group of people fighting against us that this was not even something that you should attempt because it didn't belong there. And so it's been very gratifying to watch people playing it and have our user feedback and have our test groups and have people go, oh, yeah, I like me some story. This is good. And you're right about the social aspect, too, because like I was saying, it's, it's about when you are on Skype or on Vent with these people and you are able to have so much fun. And I mean, I spent seven years playing WoW and I never had as much fun, I think, than I did just the other night with Joe and Vince <laughs> and my son running a Flashpoint, laughing hysterically, joking around about everything and being so involved and sucked into this flashpoint and so it's 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 something where you created something where you can play solo and have an incredibly rewarding experience or if there are other people on and you happen to be able to be able to chat with them while you're doing it it's it it doesn't feel like it's separated it doesn't feel like it's two different experiences it's just an extension on the same one that's much more gratifying yeah, probably the, uh, and sort of as a wrapping up note, I'll say that the, the biggest single surprise to me came, um, I insisted in the early days that when you went into uh, conversations that it would turn off your chat window because it would be distracting and you're going to get in the way of the story and all of this. And then we saw in testing that in fact people would immediately open it up because people turned into metagamers exactly like pen and paper players. So they would be having the conversation with the NPC and then they would be discussing the conversation oh, they yeah. were having with the NPC oh, yeah. in a metagame voice with the other people they were playing with. And uh, I'm not sure why I didn't expect that since that's exactly what you do in a table talk. Well, right? you, you always have the DM saying like, wait, are you actually saying that to them? And they're like, no, 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 no. We're just discussing. Shut up, shut up. We're not. It's like you could pause the, the, your D&D game, right, and, and figure out how you're going to talk to the king. And people fell right into that exact same mode. Well, there's not a night that goes by that we don't get a, oh my God, you won't believe what just happened in Guild Chat or, oh my God, listen to this or whatever. So yeah. Okay. I have kept you, we have kept you a little too long here. So apologize to David for us, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to pop by and, and give us this interview. Like I said, we have been discussing the game for so Pretty long now. Stop. And we can't stop talking about it. And so that, that means a lot because we play a lot of games. Obviously we have the gaming podcast and we have a lot of respect for what Bioware has done. I mean, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, and, and Mass Effect 2 were all our games of the years. So we have a lot of faith in your product. And this didn't let us down. So well, kudos fantastic. to you and your writing crew. And we, again, we can't say enough about it. And we will continue to be playing the game and talking about it. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. Thank you for the invite. All right.